Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello from Detroit and the beautiful and historic Fox Theater. I'm Wolf Blitzer. Just hours from now, CNN's Democratic presidential debate gets underway. Ten candidates will line up, and tonight, frontrunner Joe Biden will be center stage, flanked by Kamala Harris and Cory Booker. There is every indication this second CNN debate will be just as dramatic as last night's showdown. 100% Wolf, I'm Chris Cuomo. It's great to be with the captain. Welcome to a special edition of The Lead. Of course, anchor Jake Tapper getting ready to moderate yet another debate tonight alongside Dana Bash and Don Lemon. Now, the benefit of tonight is they got to go to school on what happened with the rules and the interplay and what worked and didn't work last night. So let's see. you got to look at it through a little bit of a different lens. And one of the questions is, will we see the more liberal candidates tonight going after Biden? Remember that axiom. You want poise from the front runners, and we have to see who makes noise on the fringes. And for Biden, it's, is he going to be hiding Biden, or is he going to come out and fight. We'll see. Let's get our coverage started. Let's go straight inside. We got CNN's Kyung La in the hall, which is a gorgeous venue. The candidates have been getting a look at the stage, getting a feel. Kyung, what do you think we should expect tonight? Well, we can preview that in just a second. I just want to point out that uh, the former vice president is still here in the Fox Theater. He is the second to last candidate who's getting his walkthrough here. And just moments ago, I want you to look at this tape. He entered the stage for his walkthrough to check out his podium. But immediately he was a little different than all the other candidates. This was a very relaxed former vice president. He was smiling. He was waving at people. He was pausing to shake hands with a production team, looking very, very relaxed as he is entering the second debate. This belies how very seriously his team is taking this evening. In a pre-date pre-debate briefing, senior Biden campaign officials have told reporters that they will be expecting a clash on health care. They previewed that to reporters. Now, without naming Kamala Harris, we heard from the Biden team that he will argue that they need to be straightforward about the cost, straightforward about how you're going to pay for it. It's something that uh, the former vice president feels strongly about, his record. He's that the, uh, the the vice president's team, the former vice president's team, says that he is prepared to defend his records. So the first time around, he learned that there are no rules of engagement. We also heard that the former vice president watched last night's debate in Detroit. Uh, I did speak with Kamala Harris's team. They say she also watched the debate in Detroit. So we are anticipating that the big matchup, it is a rematch. And Wolf, it should be very interesting to see how much of this actually unfolds, those feelings from that first time around. Wolf. All right, Kyung, thanks very much. Let's get some more uh, insight right now. Our political experts are with us. And Mark Preston, what we just heard from Kyung, does it look like a winning strategy tonight for the former vice president? Well, you know, I just spent some time with the vice president as he came in and uh, and talked to him about tonight. He does seem very relaxed. He's uh, 
gosh, I'm, I'm going to age myself here, but I started covering him 20 years ago in Congress. You know, Maeve and I started covering him 20 years ago in Congress, although she was very young at that time. <laughs> but um, I've been covering him for 30 years. <laughs> hey, always one up. And, no, but I got to tell you, he... Uh, I think they're prepared to come in and, and face an attack from both sides, not only from his left, but from his right. He's going to have Kamala Harris on, on one side, Cory Booker on the other, and that's not even talking about the other seven that will go out to the side. It's yeah, a- it, it, because that's an important point. He's going to be flanked by Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, MJ. Uh, how, how does that, given the confrontation of the past, how does that play out tonight? Well, you know, really for every candidate that's on stage tonight, Joe Biden is the target. And for somebody like Cory Booker, he has telecast in many ways that he wants to go after Joe Biden, that he is gearing up for a fight uh, on issues like the crime bill, on issues related to race. Uh, I think this is going to be a really fascinating balancing act, though, for Booker, uh, because he has launched his campaign uh, based on this idea that politics can be optimistic, that it can be unifying. So how does he sort of maintain uh, that M.O. while still showing that fighter side of him? Right. And then for Kamala Harris, you know, she had such a strong uh, first debate. And I think the problem with that, and it's a good problem to have, is that the expectations just got a little bit higher for her, right? Uh, and we know that they there are probably going to be clashes between Kamala Harris and Joe Biden on the issue of health care. She just put out her new health care plan, and the Biden team uh, has not been shy about going after her uh, leading up to this debate. And I think uh, the one dynamic that we're ready for is that Joe Biden probably will be a little bit more ready this time around. Yeah, that could be a lively discussion, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and and it, it is true that the expectations are so high for Kamala Harris because this is what she does best. I mean, we've seen her in the hearing room uh, with Brett Kavanaugh, with uh, with Barr, with so many of the uh, the Trump you know, nominees that went through there. And she she shows she's trying to show over and over again that she's a fighter, that she would be tough enough against Donald Trump. And in truth, the women do have a higher bar, because when you go out on the trail and talk to voters, a lot of them are, you know, a little bit unsure if they want to see a woman go up again against Donald Trump. And I think that the debate stage is the best place for, you know, Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris to show that toughness and the readiness for the fight. Clearly, David, uh, Biden would much rather have his focus tonight being going after the president, President Trump, as opposed to these other nine candidates. I sure would. And I'm sure I'm positive we'll hear a lot from him on that subject. The good news from the Biden people is he's relaxed. One of the experiences you have in this debating stuff is some people clam up the, the day before, the night before. They go in lockjawed and they really stumble around. Tonight, it's really vital for Biden. The most important thing is to show that his age is not an issue, that he has his vital signs are all strong. He knows how to respond. If, if he loses on that front, the rest of it doesn't matter. But if he wins on that front, then you can get to the, the policies. Made, unlike last night, it's a pretty diverse group of yeah. candidates yeah. tonight. Yeah, it is a very diverse group of candidates. And, and you know, I think that, that that will really be on display. Last night it was about ideology. I think tonight it'll be much more a debate about, about vision, although there will be these clashes over health care. And I, I really do think for Joe Biden, uh, to David's point, that, you know, in that first debate, so many voters had high expectations for him and they were really disappointed. You know, they say it in different ways to you, but they say that he sounded too soft-spoken. They weren't sure if he was ready to take the fight to Trump. And he's really going to have to prove that tonight. And it seems like the last couple of weeks have been practiced for that, really sharpening those attacks on Harris uh, and volleys back at, at the other candidates. And I think we'll see a very lively Joe Biden tonight. I did just say, you, you said women have a higher bar, and I absolutely agree with that. But one thing that women have going for them is they have more moral authority than men. 
Interesting. He, he, yeah. And I think that Kamala Harris brings that into the debate. Yeah, for yeah. sure. You, you know, the uh, a lot of the Democrats so if, are fearful that if it gets too lively, that plays into President Trump's hands. Well, you, you know, look, after these debates, you know, we're going to look at who are the winners and who are the losers, right? The short-term winner is going to be Donald Trump, only because you will have seen the Democrats fighting. The long-term winner, though, is going to be the Democratic Party because they need to have this fight now, right? Yeah. They need to figure out what their vision of the party is, who's going to be their standard bearer, and what uh, direction they're going to go in. You know, you're just talking about Kamala Harris, also saw her this afternoon in uh, a little bit of time, cool as a cucumber, like yeah. really cool as a cucumber, <laughs> as was Biden. And, and I got to tell you, uh, of all the candidates, you know, that I've seen here, uh, those two seem very, very Well, and, relaxed. you know, Kamala's way of preparing for these things, I was talking to her team about it this week. You know, she starts with the big briefing books. She works her way all the way down to an outline uh, so that she knows exactly what arguments she wants to make. And then she really asks her team to press her in every fashion so that she's ready uh, for whatever argument her opponents will make so that she's ready with a comeback. And she's very cool in these settings. I mean, it's in some ways, it's as high stakes as it what was in the courtroom earlier in her career. In terms of just how lively this has to be tonight, I mean, for any of the candidates who are standing on the flanks of the stage, not center stage, they really, really have to bring it because right. this could be uh, their last debate. The September debate is going to be that much more difficult to actually qualify. And this is really their moment to show that they have some legs and their uh, political campaigns yeah, can Bill, continue. Bill de Blasio, Kirsten Gillibrand, a bunch of others. Uh, coming up uh, tonight is a rematch between Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Now, Biden says he's ready. I'll speak with the communications director for the Harris campaign. Also, should the candidates attack one another or should they go after President Trump tonight? We'll be right back. Down at tonight's Democratic presidential debate right here on CNN. Uh, Senator Michael Bennett, by the way, is touring the stage right now. Uh, there you can see uh, the stage. We'll see Michael Bennett shortly. Tonight's debate will feature a rematch between uh, Joe Biden and Senator Kamala Harris, who took the front runner by surprise with a rather sharp attack last month. Joining us now, Lily Adams, the communication, communications director for the Harris campaign. Lily, thanks very much for coming yeah, in. Yeah, no problem. Pretty nice place we got over I there. know, it's beautiful. Very impressive. It's beautiful. All right, so we saw what happened in the first debate. Right. This is round two. Right now, the, <laughs> the vice president is saying he's, quote, not going to be as polite this time. What do you expect? What should we expect in round two? Well, I'll say that Kamala Harris, I think, answered reporter questions today and said that her mother raised her to be very polite, so I expect that she'll be very polite. But I think she views this as an opportunity, really, to talk, Wolf, to the American people who are out there looking at who do they want to take on Donald Trump? Who is going to be the toughest person to put on that stage with Donald Trump, who is a truly existential threat to all the values that we really do share? Is she going to continue to go after him, uh, the, the former vice president, on various civil rights issues? That's certainly not her goal. Her goal is to talk about her vision for the future. You know, I think that obviously I don't know why that this that uh, discussion on busing was a surprise for the vice president. He certainly wrote about the topic in his book. Um, but, you know, that's that's up to his team to decide what, how to prepare him. But I do think what she's going to raise really are those 3 a.m. issues that are keeping people up at night. And that's really what she's been talking to people out on the trail about. Well, by the way, Senator Bennett, Michael Bennett of Colorado, he's touring the stage. He's the last of the 10 candidates to get a feeling for the lectern, to get a feeling for the microphone yeah. stage up there. Uh, I, we earlier in the day saw your senator, Senator Kamala Harris, up yeah. there. Uh, did she like what she saw? 
I think so. You know, it's a beautiful historic theater. She's thrilled to be here in Detroit, obviously an iconic American city. Um, but, you know, these obviously every stage is a little bit different. So it's good to get a feel for it yourself. Uh, let's get to some of the sensitive issues that are yeah. certainly going to come up tonight. She just put out a, her detailed health care plan. Yeah. Uh, the Biden team is accusing Senator Harris of, quote, a long and confusing pattern of equivocating about her stance on health care. Is Senator Harris ready to stand by her new health care plan tonight? Absolutely. And she's done exactly what I think voters would expect someone running for president to do. She's talked to people, she's heard about their concerns, and she's talked to experts. You know, Kathleen Sebelius, who ran Obamacare for the Obama administration, who I think probably the vice president has great faith in, said that her plan is the best way to get to universal health care. So we feel very strong about the program that she has laid out. I've read her plan, uh, and it's got a lot of detail in there. Yeah. But one thing I'm still a little confused on, maybe you can clarify, it's yeah. a 10-year transition That's right. to Medicare for all. That's there, correct. During the first 10 years, there will still be private health insurance. Is that right? Yes, and there's an immediate, well, two things, Wolf. One, there's an immediate Medicare buy-in, which is the same as Bernie's plan, but it, and it will start the same just as her plan, but she will take 10 years to get to full Medicare for so All So what system. happens after 10 years? Mm -hmm. If you like uh, private health insurance, will you still be able to have private health insurance, or do you have to have Medicare? No, there'll be private Medicare plans, just like there are today in Medicare and public Medicare plans. Well, what about private health insurance with other private companies? Will they still be allowed to operate? Yes, operating in the Medicare system, again, what just like they, want, just like they, they do today. what if they don't want to operate well, in they the do, Medicare system after 10 years? Will that be illegal? No, you wouldn't want them to operate like they do today. Wolf, they're raising deductibles on people. They're causing insane out-of-pocket costs. They're causing huge co-pays. plenty and of people so, who and, like their private and, health insurance. And health insurance companies will be able to get their plan certified if they play by our rules. But the problem is that right now we're playing by their rules. That's the problem that in healthcare today would be preserved unless we bring insurance companies into the system to have to get certified with a Medicare private plan. Again, just like it happens today in Medicare, which people like. Because uh, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders says after four years, uh, private health insurance will be released. There'll be a four-year transition. What you're saying, it'll be a 10-year Yeah, and, th and there's two two good reasons for it. One, healthcare is incredibly personal, and people, I think, were, dis were uncomfortable with that quick transition. Also, for union members, they want time to go to the negotiating table and be able to say, no, I know my health care is going to be taken care of, so I want to negotiate harder for wages. I'm sure this, this subject is going to come up <laughs> later tonight. Uh, Lily Adams, thanks very much for coming in. Thanks so much. Good like to your candidate. Appreciate tonight. it. Appreciate it very much. Uh, thanks very much, Chris. Let's go over to you. Important ground to cover, Wolf. It was good to hear that interview. Let's now get a take from our political experts. What a panel we have for you. Former Senator Rick Santorum, Jen Psaki, uh, Mayor Andrew Gillum, and Paul Begala. So help me. As always, feel free <laughs> to attack the premise. Uh, but Paul, when I listen to this, why do the Democrats, we saw it last night, keep taking the debate of being obsessed with how? You don't know how you're going to get it done. You don't know if you're going to tax the middle class. Harris has been all over the place on it because that's the pragmatism you usually apply. They've right. just been clumsy about it. But the idea of we have the plan now, you think you win this election on the basis of a plan? No, if you did, then Hillary, Hillary did win, but she would have actually been allowed to serve. Uh, I, I'm for specificity, but... You're right. People want to know the direction you want to take. J JFK did not stand in Houston, Texas and say, we'll have a Saturn three-stage Saturn V rocket with tracking stations in New Zealand. And he just said, we're going to the moon. That's right. And all the Democrats actually agree on that. And I, maybe that's why they're doing this, because they have to find these, these Jesuitical distinctions that they draw amongst their competitors, because there's 20 of them in the race. But the juxtapose is, it with who, if any of the, well, whoever wins. You will not hear this president talk about his health care plan <laughs> at all during the election. I don't mean it as a criticism. No. He's going to say what they did strokes. stunk. 
What I'll do is better, and they are stopping me from doing it right now because they are a bunch of crazy socialists. It's pretty much the beginning and the end, no? The the president's going to talk about how they want to take your health care plan away. 180 million people, most of whom are the base Democratic voter union members, they're going to take their health care plan away. He'll repeat that. And and by the way, you're going to get the same plan as that guy who illegally crossed the border yesterday. And you think that that plan that the guy illegally crossed the border is the best health care plan you can get? No one who has health care right now through their employer is going to believe that. No one. Here's my bet. A year from now, I'm happy to make this bet with you right here. Okay. Uh, a year from now, the argument from whomever is the Democratic nominee is going to be that Donald Trump will take your health care away and make it so that your pre-existing conditions will not be covered. That's right. And there will maybe be a Supreme Court case. This is all, it's good to have a 45-minute debate about health care, but ultimately the Democrats all believe costs should be lowered and access should right. be increased. That's and to wins. your point, I think all the details will be worked out. It will be in the platform, but beyond that, it's going to be whoever Jen, is elected. They, they can't run away from the specificity that, and I mean, they're dying on the Well, that's why you shouldn't be right given, now. you shouldn't give the specificity. But they're dying on this. That's, that, that's that, my point. Now, I know heard, people will heard, say, you, we need plans, we need specifics. No, I say, journalists like it because right. it gives you a proxy for for, you know, inquisitiveness and you're pushing. But the reality is, the political reality, Elizabeth Warren once last night, and I thought she did well. She had her hands up. People were coming at her. She was blocking blows. She was hitting them back. That's good. You have to show that uh, kind of assertiveness in this context. However, once last night, Andrew, she said, um, wait a minute, we're not the party who's taking away health care. That's what the Republicans... Once she said it, she defended it 50 different ways. Yeah, but so first of all, we should acknowledge that in this primary, there are not a large number of distinctions between these candidates. Right. They're they're sort of moving around the edges. They all got different titles, though. They all got different titles. Medicare for most, Medicare when you want it. If you want it, I like that one, actually. That was a pretty good uh, uh, suggestion last night. I kept thinking, if I want what? And I was like, what what is this? But anyway, the point is, is that there's not huge gulfs between where we are across a number of issues. And so, I think there are certain candidates who really do need to drive this wedge around how it is that it's going to be done. Um, But I agree with Jen. I mean, the truth is, is that uh, as well as uh, uh, the senator, Republicans want to take away your health care spent right. countless numbers of votes I mean, that's the argument. in the Congress that's the to ar- strip that's away Obamacare. Period. That's a fact. This is the most important thing to me. Tonight, I want these Democrats to point out to the country the fact that our president has proposed colossal cuts in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars cut from Medicare and from Medicaid. That's right. And he is in court as we speak at the Fifth Circuit asking them to throw out the entire Affordable Care Act, especially your protections for pre-existing right. conditions. Now, no one the, mentioned the, that the last problem night. Right. Every one of them should the mention it tonight. The problem with that is that's it right. doesn't differentiate you from the other That's candidates. the problem with it. And so well, it does. There, so one of us, no, one, ca- one group wants people it. to have access. No, he's, he's saying on the stage. On the stage. The way you do it is if you're the person that takes the case to the president, right. yeah. instead of trying to make a marginal increase right. from the person, the man or woman next to you, maybe you distinguish well, yourself that's that way. That's an opportunity for Joe Biden, I think, tonight. You know, he should be proud and stand up there and say, I worked on Obamacare. We should build yeah. on that. We need and to go farther. It. We need to make it more accessible. Which, and br- which brings me to the point, and I, I, I hurry I up because they're yelling at me. It brings me to the point <laughs> that last night Barack Obama's name was not mentioned by one candidate. You wait till tonight. Not <laughs> one candidate. <laughs> You'll hear Barack it tonight. Obama. You'll hear it tonight. I promise. Well, Bullock, Bullock <laughs> mentioned his, his, his Homeland Security chief, but no one. Talked about Obamacare. No one talked about Obama. I mean, he's still a well, very hear popular tonight. man. Yes, yeah. Well, you're here with Biden. You'll hear it. You'll hear it tonight. Party is the question. Now, yeah. uh, let me go to a break, but let me go to a break on an important thought. Last night, Flint, Michigan came up, but I would argue it got lip service. 
is the reality that our government is still failing and that the rest of us just stop caring. Next, I'm going to be joined by the congressman who represents Flint. You need to hear the real deal of the level of suck that is being ignored by the rest of us. Next. You know, in real time, we're seeing such an important demonstration of what the difference is between politics and government. The CNN Democratic debate is taking place in Michigan. You know that, right? This is a state Donald Trump carried in 2016, in large part because he was able to identify with the disaffection and the outrage. But that doesn't mean that he addressed the problems that he identified with. For instance, the candidates last night, you heard them talk about Flint. You heard them talk about the water crisis, but you got this sense that it was past tense, right? The closing of a GM plant here, union health care benefits and the tensions. They want to talk about plans to fix, but are they owning the reality? Here's my argument against Democratic Congressman Dan Kildee of Michigan. Thank you. Thank you. So the congressman and I see each other last night. We talk about the realities of how bad it is still in Flint. He says, you know, you weren't going to the campaigns and getting them to try to acknowledge it. It wasn't dealt with, honestly. It hasn't been dealt with, honestly, by the government. And I have to apologize to you as a member of the media that we haven't continued to shine a light on it as well. We got compassion fatigue. What is the reality right this minute for people living in Flint, Michigan? Well, I think the big mistake is to think that the Flint water crisis was really fundamentally about water. Water was the symptom Mm -hmm. of a really big problem. We have a lot of places, a lot of communities in this country that are continually left behind. We heard the president go after the people of Baltimore. Baltimore is another case study here. The people of Flint experienced a water crisis because they were allowed to get to the place where they're one mistake, one miscalculation away from being in that sort of crisis. Because the infrastructure was in a state of disrepair where it was inevitable. Exactly. Infrastructure failure, but also the kind of austerity that was imposed on that city is still in place. The, the, the fact that the city doesn't have adequate resources to have a police department that's, that's any bigger than half that it was a few years ago. A fire department, the same. The parks are not properly main, maintained and mowed. The schools, many of them in very bad shape. And so the water crisis, in some ways, ripped the cover off what was happening in that community. And that aspect of it's not over with. But honestly, neither is the effect of the crisis itself. Now, these are your constituents, and you're right. There are flints all over this country. You know, people can laugh, but Marianne Williamson was the only one who connected with the compassion that is necessary to see how systemically these things fit together. But even on the water cry, I mean, I was just looking online to see, you know, what are the anecdotes? Somebody put online, my pipes have been fixed in my house. And I can't cook with this water. It doesn't look right. It doesn't taste right. I'm still using bottled water. What percentage of people there do you think are still not able to have that basic necessity? I don't think people even who have water that might be safe trust it yet. And this is like one of the biggest casualties of all of this in Flint is that, yes, there are still problems with the water. The pipes have not all been Well, they were told that it was good before. That's the issue. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. They were told by the government, which is an entity that they don't distinguish between Lansing and Washington, Democrats and Republicans, this administration or that. The government said, your water is safe. The government told them, just relax. Literally, that was the point that was made. Relax. When that government knew that the water had high levels of lead, 
had Legionella in it. 12 people died as a result of that. We don't know the full effect of the lead crisis on the development of young kids or the health of older people. They were told it was okay when the government knew it wasn't okay. Buttigieg was talking about South Bend uh, and how they have a lead problem with paint and that the money they get is only enough to deal with a fraction of the problem. And look, we know the intractability of the problems. You, your family, you've been dealing with this for generations. The issue is, who's going to connect with it? I'm fine with you guys battling it out in your party about health care and the different hows. I think it's a little impractical. I, you know, I think that we don't know right now whether you can tax the middle class or not when you, once you get in power. Right. We don't know what the mechanism is going to be. We don't right. know what the trajectory or the runway will be to change the system for what it is to right now. And you can't know because of the political realities uh, that are yet to be ascertained by when you're in office. But you can connect with those people for sure. and say, I haven't forgotten. Yeah. I know that it sucks on different levels and we're going to figure out ways to help you. I didn't hear that last night. I was looking for it last night. And look, a lot of these folks are my friends, so it's hard to say this, but they have not touched this question the way they should. If, If they have a conversation, as they did, about economic injustice, about inequality in our economy, you'll see it in Flint. If you want to have a conversation about racial disparity, come to Flint. If they want to have a conversation, for God's sake, about the failure of infrastructure, there was hardly a mention of what is really a big issue in this country, not just in terms of the injustice that it delivers to a place like Flint, Michigan, but the fact that it holds back our competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Why aren't we having this conversation? It's not se- as sexy as health care right now, although whoever thought health care would be sexy. Yeah, that's a weird but here's point. what I promised you. I'm not going to let it go. I had you on today. We're supposed to be talking about what's going to happen in the debate. This is what should happen it should. in the debate. And, Congressman, you should choose your constituents 10 times out of 10 out of your friends in Congress, because as we all know, 100%. that's fleeting. Uh, and these are the people who put you where you are. And I know you're trying to do the job, and I wanted to get the message out. So thank you for doing it. Thanks for doing it, Chris. All right, Congressman Kildee, let me know how we can be helpful going forward. I won't let you down again. Thank you. All right. Thank all right, you. Wolf, to you. All right. Good conversation. Very important conversation. Thanks very much, uh, Chris. Uh, We're back with our political correspondents and our analysts. And Maeve, uh, we're going to be hearing presumably a lot of discussion tonight on health care. Kamala Harris, the senator, she's rolled out her own plan to eliminate uh, private health insurance effectively after 10 years. Is she really ready tonight, you think, to explain in detail what she has in mind? I think she definitely is, but that is going to be a huge uh, challenge for her going forward. Uh, you know, just the questions that you were talking to Lily about, uh, how, you know, the, the fact that this would be phased out over 10 years, these private plans that people like. Here in Michigan, in particular, in the industrial Midwest, there are so many union members who have worked for those benefits who aren't ready to give up their private insurance. Can they actually effectively make the case tonight that that's a system that people should transition to? And there's so many people out there also that worry that if you move everyone in the country onto Medicare, that the quality of their own care will be diminished. So on this issue, I actually think that that uh, the former vice president has an easier path because that's the argument that he's they, made. They disagree on this they issue. They disagree on this issue, and, and he's trying to channel those voters when he talks about it. You know, uh, Mark, uh, Governor Jay Inslee of Washington State is going to talk about uh, climate change. That's his big issue tonight. Is there going to be a serious debate, though, among these candidates on that We'll have to see. We don't necessarily know what's going to be discussed tonight. But what we do know is that his whole candidacy has been absolutely focused just on climate change. 
that's been good for the issue. I don't think that's been necessarily good for the governor. You know, I had him on my radio show a few weeks ago, and I talked to him about his, his policies in, in beyond climate change, and I was surprised about how liberal he was. I didn't realize that, that the governor was really, really to the left. That never was able to be shown because he only talked about climate change. But look, just yesterday there was, what, a thousand protesters uh, out front, yeah. largely asking for climate change to be addressed. This is a huge issue in the Democratic Party if not just the world. You think, uh, David, uh, the debate tonight will be on policy-driven issues, or will there be uh, some politics in store? There are always politics in store, <laughs> don't you? I think the big difference tonight with last night, last night, the moderates were on the attack. You know, they found their voice for the first time, and they were attacking Sanders and Warren. Tonight, it's going to flip, and the progressives are going to be more on the attack, They're going after Biden, going after the moderate positions, and he's got to be not only able to return fire on their plans, but he's going to have to have some to say about his own plans. It's been vague in some areas. Most people only have the vaguest idea of what he really wants to do as president. I think he has to start clarifying that tonight as well as have a smooth performance. I assume the candidates, MJ, are really going to also go after President Trump. That's right. I mean, the reality is that this is a Democratic primary, so they have to battle it out right now on issues like health care, on issues like the economy. As we saw last night, I expect there is going to be a very robust discussion on the issues, but you cannot emphasize enough how important it is for these candidates to start going after President Trump as well, at least to start making their general election argument, right? Uh, the thing that I hear probably the most, and Maeve, I don't know if this is the same for you, uh, when I'm out there talking to voters is that, yes, there are so many issues that they care about a lot, but the one thing that they're most worried about right now is, are we going to nominate a Democratic candidate who can take on President Trump? Uh, Health care is important, obviously. Economic issues are important, but is the person that we nominate going to be able to take on President Trump? I assume you're hearing the same thing. Top issue every time we want a fighter, we want somebody who's uh, practiced in those arts, someone who can deal with, you know, President Trump potentially stalking them on the stage like he did uh, Hillary Clinton. And, it's all fresh in our minds. Yeah, still. and and you know, also somebody that can that can speak to those voters that he won, and that's what I'll really be listening for tonight is, you know, whether or not they can speak to the middle of the country and those people who felt so disaffected uh, in the last election, particularly when they're feeling like the economy is pretty good right. Now. Of the 10 tonight, the 10 last night, 20 candidates so far, Mark, only seven have qualified for the next debate, which is going to be in September in Houston. Uh, who else do you think will eventually qualify in addition to the seven who have already made it? You know, I think Julian Castro is clearly uh, has the momentum and the ability to do so. I also think that Andrew Yang is, is on the verge. Now, he said he had qualified. doesn't seem that he has. It's, it, there was a little confusion over uh, what poll he could use to qualify for that debate. Won't get into the weeds on that. But what's interesting about the Andrew Yang situation is that last night we saw Marianne Williamson yeah. giving a performance on the stage. And people are gushing over it because it was different. It was new. You know who's not gushing over it? Democrats are not gushing over it, certainly establishment Democrats, because they want this primary field shrunken down. And when you see a performance like that, where she is getting all this name recognition, Andrew Yang actually has a built-in political base that he could build upon tonight. And, and we but, talk so much about these breakout moments. I just have to say, I mean, that is just half the battle, right? You can have a breakout moment, but does that actually translate into political mo momentum in the months to come? Everybody, sta everybody yeah. stand by. There's a lot more uh, we need to follow, uh, follow up on. So what can the candidates taking the stage later tonight learn from their colleagues who sparred last night. We'll be right back. Started as a poem. All right, we're here with
with our political commentators outside Detroit's historic Fox Theater. It really is the most beautiful venue I've ever seen for one of these debates. But this is a big night. It's about substance, not the style. And what will happen at CNN's Democratic presidential debate tonight will be a function of what we saw last night. So let's bring in former Senator Rick Santorum, Jen Psaki, former Mayor Andrew Gillum, and Paul Begala. Now, you got to learn to learn in this business. You got a beautiful opportunity if you're on night two last night. You mm-hmm. saw yeah. how the moderators enforced the rule, which is early and often. Mm-hmm. What resonated, what didn't. Biggest lesson, Bagala. The biggest lesson is early and often, that the storyline gets set early. A lot of people said John Delaney got too much time. He was actually seventh of the 10 candidates, but he got it early and he took his shots. Now, whether it worked or not, but he got in there early on healthcare, challenged Elizabeth Warren. You will see everybody who's not named Joe Biden trying to do that in the first 10 minutes tonight going after Joe. Use your time wisely. I mean, there's not a lot of time and we saw uh, that catch a couple of people up. There were folks who were talking last night that didn't have things to say. Uh, And my guess is if you get that few couple of moments, make it count. Say something that will be memorable, that people will will walk away saying, okay, I got that. And not just zingers, We're, we're smart people. We can pick up on on complex thoughts. I think there's a lesson from last night and also from the first debate, which is that Democrats are looking for somebody who's going to move their heart, right? Not just their head. Uh, It's the people who are connecting or the people who are speaking to people's emotions, their fears, their concerns, their hopes, their dreams. Marion Williamson, as we all know, was the most searched person last night. I don't think she's going to be the nominee, but she brought something compelling. I think Kamala Harris benefited not just from attacking Joe Biden, which was interesting, but because she connected it to her bio and her story and pulled people's heartstrings. And I think that's a good lesson for a lot of these candidates, Joe Biden, Cory Booker, Kirsten Gillibrand, other people who want to have a moment. I, All I'm due the, deference, Rick. Also, remind people, you're the only one here yeah. who's done this. 30 You've times. Been, right, presidential <laughs> wow. debates. 30 presidential debates. So give us to us. Connection. I mean, Jen, I mean, I would, the only thing I would add to that is, I would say everything you said is correct. It has to connect personally to you. It has to be authentic. It can't, I mean, last night, I thought Buttigieg did a great job in some of the language he used and but it just seemed a little hollow to me. Whereas Williamson, it seemed really sincere. It came from the heart as opposed to sort of a structured uh, attempt to connect. Let's play so it. Here's Mary, now, just so you understand, Marion Williamson is a very polished communicator. Right. I've said it many times. I'll say it again. I like her books, her work on A Course of Miracles, uh, her understanding between head and heart, her understanding of why people can use pain as an empowerment, uh, the healing of the soul of America, another one of her four bestsellers. It all speaks to that. Doesn't mean I think she should be president, but the voice is inviting of a connection that we saw in very short supply. Here's a taste. I've heard some people here tonight. I almost wonder why you're Democrats. You seem to think there's something wrong about using about using the instruments of government to help people. That is what government should do. Now, that was just one taste. In truth, what really distinguished her last night was when she talked about Flint. Mm-hmm. Everybody talks about Flint, but it's like checking oh. a box. Yeah. Mentioned that they were screwed in Flint. But she said, you have to, it's systemic. Yep. It's not one thing, it's everything. And they know it and they feel you've forgotten them. And if they don't think that you have their back, why would they be there for you and they won't vote for us? She was spot on. Yeah. So what do you need to see tonight? Well, the value of what she did, one, she bought a local... Michigan issue, 
uh, we're based here. Uh, this is a pivotal state for Democrats. Which is a metaphor all across the country. Well, there it, are Flints it, it, all across the country. And that's the point I was going to make, which is, while we may be here in Flint today, uh, and it's similar to what Mayor uh, Pete Buttigieg experienced even in South Bend, the reason why that captured the imagination of so many of us is because in our news feeds and our Facebook and our Twitter, these stories reciprocate. They, we see them all over the country. And so it wasn't just South Bend. It's Tallahassee, Florida, and it's Miami-Dade, and it's you name it. And that's why it took such resonance. And the same is true for Flint. There are water crises all over the country, communities that have dilapidated infrastructure that are deserving of investment. Right. But because we are here in Michigan, it's no accident. This state matters. We got to talk about the issues that right. matter. to and The place. how matters, but it's all about the why. I got to go to break. Uh, we set it up. And Rick, I want people to remember that, you know, not just a former senator. 30 times you've been up there <laughs> and you're a hell of a debater. All right. So we're going to use that help and that acumen to give you three things to watch for during tonight's CNN Democratic presidential debate. Why only three? Because numbers sell. Next. We're back inside the Fox Theater here in Detroit. Our political director, David Chalian, is here with us. So, David, what are the three top things you're looking for tonight? Well, first and foremost, I think every Democrat watching tonight is looking for Biden's do-over, right? What the eyes are going to be on performance. This will be a substantive debate, no doubt. But style is going to count here because of his lackluster performance in Miami. I think that is first and foremost. He's got to show Democrats he's got the fortitude, the wherewithal to take this fight to Donald Trump. That's one thing I'm looking for. The next thing I'm looking for is the politics of race and how that is handled in this debate. You know Joe Biden standing right between Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, two of his most uh, strident opponents, especially in the area of race and racial politics. And so how uh, he takes that incoming that he's fully expecting and how he uh, pushes back on that. I am very curious to see how he handles that and how Booker and Harris uh, decide to make their attacks there. And then um, finally, I'm also looking to see Kamala Harris on health care, because, as you know, for the first seven months of her presidential campaign, Wolf, uh, she has been uh, anything but crystal clear on sort of what her position was, which is why she rolled out a health care plan in advance of this debate. It gives her like a sturdier floor to stand on on this issue, one the number one issue for voters, and make her case. Um, her plan is a step away from Medicare for All, where she's been. She claims it's still a Medicare for All plan, but it is a step away from the Sanders plan. And I'm curious to see how she explains that tonight on the debate. I'm curious stage. to see how Biden goes after her on that health care issue. Especially on how to pay for it, because she refuses, she says, to raise middle class taxes, unlike Bernie Sanders, who says he will, to pay for this to bring everyone's health care costs down. Because he's been saying uh, it's Bernie Sanders light. He's been going through a <laughs> spokesperson. Yeah, exactly. All right. Stand by. We've got a lot more to discuss uh, coming up. As we count down to the debate tonight, uh, I'll speak with one of Joe Biden's biggest supporters and closest friends, Senator Chris Coons. That's just ahead. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. 
Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.